Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy, Joe Masato, on this Tuesday morning. Joe, how are you doing? A glorious Tuesday morning, indeed. I'm doing well, Michael. How are you? Doing all right. Um, just, you know, getting through all the draft process. We're racing towards the draft. I think that's in um, less than 20 days now. So Yeah, uh, a little more Very than, interesting. It's like, uh, let's see here, uh, two weeks from... Two weeks from Thursday, so it's coming up fast. Very fast. Well, the Thunder did have some news. This time it wasn't uh, good news necessarily as Will Dawkins leaves for the Washington Wizards um, for, I don't think they've um, announced what position it is, but just want to get your overall reaction on that. Yeah, so David Aldridge of The Athletic actually did a report that um, his title is going to be general manager. Um, so basically, in Wa- in Washington's executive leadership structure, Michael Winger, who is also a former Thunder exec, spent seven years with the Thunder before taking the GM job with the Clippers and now the president job of Monumental Sports, which um, oversees the, the Wizards, the Mystics, and the go-go of the G League. So anyway, he hires Will Dawkins, uh, his old friend from Oklahoma City, to be the GM of the Wizards, and I love what the Wizards have done this offseason, um, kind of putting good pieces in place and really smart people in place uh, with Winger leading everything. And um, I'm a big fan of, of Will Dawkins. I, I'm excited for him to have this opportunity. He spent 15 years with the Thunder. So if you don't really know who Will Dawkins is, I don't blame you because he operates sort of you know, behind the scenes and isn't ever really front facing except around draft time uh, when he sometimes pulled into those press conferences to talk about the players the Thunder drafted. But um, he's started as a front office intern um, when the team arrived in 2008. Um, He's been a video coordinator. He's been a scouting coordinator. Um, He was VP of identification and intelligence. Uh, He is... Uh, and but he spent the last three years basically as assistant GM, uh, more formally vice president of basketball operations, a title he shares with Rob Hennigan, um, the former Magic GM who was with the Thunder before that, and now with the Thunder after that. Um, so we'll see if the Thunder promotes anyone to to Dawkins's open spot. But um, yeah, just a a really big get for the, for the Wizards and. Um, the Thunder has a ton of people that have been around a long time, but kind of an institutional knowledge loss for the Thunder. Well, how much of a loss do you think it is going to be for the Thunder? I mean, obviously, we don't know what he does on a day-to-day basis. You gave a great rundown of just a lot of his responsibilities, but do you think this is going to be a, you know, something that hurts them long-term? Well, I mean, he's super involved in the draft. Um, he's got a scouting background, so... Um, has just been a prominent voice in the room. And and I'm not going to pretend like I know how all of those dynamics work within the Thunder's front office. Um, but I I think the Thunder is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's bittersweet. They're sad to see him leave. But also, um, he's he's leaving for a better job in that um, he's, he's the GM of an NBA team and only 30 guys get that chance now. He's technically number two in the... In the front office, but I, I don't know how his role versus Winger's role is going to be divided. So 
I think it's a step up for Dawkins, and I think that's why the move makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's like it, it's a big loss for the Thunder, but at the same time, I think they're kind of proud of their GM tree that uh, Sam Presti now has branching out. So Dawkins is the fifth um, assistant GM under Presti who has now went on to become a GM of his own. Uh, Rich Cho was the first. He was a assistant in the very, very early days of the Thunder and with the Sonics before that. He went on to become GM Portland and Charlotte. I mentioned Rob Hennigan, who was the GM in Orlando. Michael Winger, um, Will Dawkins, and then Troy Weaver is the the fifth. So he, he's in Detroit. So quite a quite a GM tree. Sam Presti is sprouting. Definitely. Well, um, I don't know if you know this, but the Thunder have a lot of draft picks to trade up, and the Wizards have the number eight pick. Do you think this changes any dynamics or possibilities of the Thunder trading up with the Wizards? Does this hurt their chances? Help their chances? Knowing uh, Will Dawkins has uh, had a lot of uh, firsthand experience with Sam Presti. Believe it or not, Michael, I, I, I did know they have a lot of picks to uh, to trade. I I don't know. I think uh, I think I've said this before. My number one rule would to not. I would not yeah. <laughs> trade with the Thunder. I would not trade with Sam Presti. Have like a have like a waiting period. Uh, institute like a self-imposed three-year waiting period before you want to deal with the Thunder. You just don't want to. It's just playing with fire. It's a it's a it's a dangerous proposition. I would say this does not make it more likely. That the Thunder trades with the Wizards um, on draft night. However, I don't think it makes it less likely either. Um, I I think that you know they would be the same professional negotiations as with any other team. Now, uh, would they be a little bit friendlier? Sure, um, but at the same time, like neither neither side is going to give an inch. But I would not do it. I would not not do it. And then the last thing on that, I just wonder with, you know, him being very involved with Thunder's draft process about just um, if the Thunder could get a pick, I don't know, quote unquote, sniped because it's a guy who the Thunder thought that they got under the radar. And now Will Dawkins has moved to the Wizards. and He's like, hey, guys, um, I don't know if you know, but this guy's actually really good. We should take him here. Now, that's really interesting, kind of. You know, obviously, Dawkins knows what the Thunder's draft board looks like. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure that for the most part, he was in agreement with that. So I'm sure the Wizards draft board is going to look very similar to the Thunder's draft board. I'm sure there's certain guys that he's higher on or lower on, um, whatever. But it is a good piece of intel to have. What I would be interested in is, um, so Mark Stein first reported this, well, like a week or so ago that this could happen. I'm curious, like, if... Dawkins has been involved with the Thunder in the interim, or if he's kind of taken a step back, knowing this was likely. Like, um, but you know, those those guys are pros. I'm sure there's nothing nefarious going on, but it is it is interesting. Like this close to the draft, kind of knowing exactly what another team is thinking. That is going to be very interesting, but uh, we can't get into the minds of these teams and what they're thinking. But we're going to get into what we think about what the Thunder should have taken away from these Eastern Conference playoff teams that were eliminated. Let's start 
First off, with the Milwaukee Bucks, what can the Thunder learn from them? From the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Thunder can learn that. So the, these are bigger picture things. Well, one on a smaller scale, luck is just necessary to have to make a playoff run. I'm not saying the Bucks would have beaten the Heat if they were fully healthy. I uh, uh, if uh, if Giannis was fully healthy, although I think Milwaukee would have won that series. Um, but you just you know what whether it was the Chris Middleton injury last year, the Giannis injury this year, like you got to stay healthy. And from a big picture standpoint, I would say windows that are seemingly open forever can close pretty quickly. Not that the Bucks window is closed, but you but now like you know once they're bounced, the narrative is man, look how look how old this core is. Like what are they going to do to build around Giannis? And like just totally different discussions we were ha- having. Um, two years ago when they won the NBA Finals. Also, Mike Budenholzer goes from, yeah, he's probably going to get fired, to, ah, can't fire him now. He just won the NBA title, to now, okay, he's fired. So things move fast in the NBA. I had something similar. Nothing is ever promised or guaranteed. A ton of super smart basketball media personalities and others pick the Bucks to sweep the heat or beat them just in general and get back to the Finals. Myself and many others had them winning the title this year. Uh, not looking very smart, but you can never. I did too. Yeah, you can never underestimate an opponent. Don't play with your food. Just all the cliche stuff. And then devastating injuries can happen at any time. This is not yeah. like some random thing that has happened. You can go back every single season. There's something like this that happens to a team that it's like, well, this is unfair. This never happens to anyone. I mean, uh, the Lakers a couple of years ago, LeBron and Anthony Davis get injured in the first round against the Suns. The um, I'll. Obviously, famous one for Thunder fans is Russell Westbrook and the Patrick Beverly injury. This this happens every single season, and it's uh, disappointing that it does, but it's just a reality of the NBA playoffs whenever there's high stakes like this, high intensity, and a lot more physicality. Yeah, I mean, like the the last iteration of the Durant Warriors squad. I mean, they it was like everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and did that benefit the Raptors? Sure, but like that's that's part of it. So. Uh, no one's making the NBA Finals. No one's winning the NBA Finals um, without quite a bit of luck along the way. And yeah, Bucks fans and insert name of fan base here, like everyone can have the same qualms and complaints like, oh, we weren't healthy. Well, it's like this happens to everyone. Yeah, after an 82-game season, nobody's going to be healthy. I mean, the Thunder got struck with injuries in the playoffs. With I mean, the surge injury and other ones just mm-hmm. over and over and over, it felt like. But um, another one I had takeaways for the Bucks is adapt or die. The Bucks and Coach Bud over the last few years have been known for not really making a ton of adjustments or getting away from what they do. I know one of their big staples is they play a lot of drop coverage and they give up a lot of threes. And it's one of those things where you have to make adjustments and you can't do too little too late. Obviously, the Giannis injury just flips everything and is the biggest uh, point of discussion whenever you're talking about this series. But if you don't make those adjustments and you're just like, oh, well, it'll all work out, that's how you can find yourself sitting at home after five games as a one seed. Yeah, that's a that's well said. Are you ready for the Cleveland Cavaliers? I'm ready for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Should I should I get us going on the Cleveland Go ahead. Cavaliers? Um my takeaway from the Cavs, one on just a basketball level, they were the seventh best offense in the NBA by net rating in their regular season. Um, 
they only played five postseason games, so I get that this is a small sample, but they were the worst offense in the playoffs, only averaging 101.9 points per 100 possessions, which was down from 115.5 points per 100 possessions in the regular season. And they just lacked a diversity on offense and guys that could just create. And we saw, um, you know, the, the fit between Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, while dominant defensively, has its limitations offensively. Uh, not putting a cap on that because both of those guys, um, Mobley in particular, um, are still young. Um, and then from a big picture standpoint, the Cavs press the button. And I'm not saying it was a it was a wrong button to press. I'm just saying they press the button. Uh, they do the Donovan Mitchell trade, and they were one of the best stories in the regular season. Had a ton of success, um, but some of the pieces that you're that you have around that maybe aren't yet ready for that stage. I mean, Darius Garland still very very young. Um, Mobley, the franchise cornerstone in his second season. So um, we, we all know that they they really lacked a competent wing. Um, so there were some roster construction concerns. Um, overall, I, I think they would, well, pending Donovan Mitchell re-signing in, in Cleveland, I think they would do the deal again. Um, but this is what Sam is talking about when he says, you know, you only have one chance to press the button because, you know, the Thunder could make a big move like that land a big fish and it it's not always going to work on the first try especially when um you know donovan mitchell who has tons of playoff experience with the jazz team that was together for a long time is now with completely new teammates um most of whom are are very very young yeah those guys just aren't necessarily ready to win at that level yet darius garland's 23 um, Evan Mobley's 21, Jared Allen 24. That's their core. And I had in a similar vein to what you were talking about with the button is don't create problems. You don't have to. And it feels like they accelerated things and raised expectations where they were one of the feel good stories last year as a team that kind of rose up and they just kind of compounded their timeline where now expectations are much higher. And also I had just because you can does not mean you should. I'm not saying the Donovan Mitchell trade was a mistake but like you mentioned they're gonna have to resign him and he's already said like after the series he's like yeah i still love new york i'd love to play in new york it's like oh this is not fantastic for you uh but yeah young teams and young cores usually don't win in the playoffs thunder fans are kind of jaded just because of that young thunder team that did have so much success but yeah when your core is 21 23 24 usually you're not going to have a ton of postseason success yeah, and you know, I'm I'm looking back on on the trade. So, uh to get Donovan Mitchell, the Cavs traded Colin Sexton, which you're fine with. Yeah. Uh Laurie Markinen, which no one knew that Laurie Markinen would um become an all NBA type guy. So, um who knows about that one? But they also traded three first round picks, 2025, 2027, 2029, and two pick swaps in 26 and 28. It's a haul. I mean, it's that's a ton that's a ton of draft capital you're giving up. And you know, you gotta remember where you are, and where you are is Cleveland, Ohio. And um 
perhaps the best basketball player ever is, is from nearby Akron and and uh, obviously wanted to come back to Cleveland for a second time. But you're not going to lure any other free agents or superstars or anything like that. So the only other option you have to build a team is through the draft. But now you've punted on the draft to land a star who, if he resigns, I'm going to say it's a it's a win because it's just hard to get those guys and they got one and they have a good core in place. If he leaves, it's probably a disaster. Now they still have a good core in that. I mean, Mobley alone is good, um, but Garland as well. But um, yeah, you're going to say they, they definitively lost the trade if Mitchell moves on. Yeah. And they've just kind of tied their hands of this is your team. They can make, some trades where there be Jared Allen or some other kind of fringe pieces, but this is your core and you're kind of stuck with this and you just have to wait it out. If Donovan Mitchell is going to resign. I also had just for them in the playoffs because they lose to the Knicks in the first round. Talent can only get you so far. I think everyone, if you just lined up on a piece of paper and obviously basketball is not played on paper, you'd go, well, the Cavs are way more talented than the Knicks. They should beat them in mm-hmm. five or six games, but the Knicks just had a lot more physicality and a lot more maturity starting with Jalen Brunson coming in there. And it just looked like, I don't know, the the Cavs weren't ready for that moment. Which is then funny because that was the same story of the Knicks Heat series where the Heat were the tougher team, the more mature team. I know Julius Randle was hurt and things like that, but kind of shows you how far away the Cavs really were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, another thing I had is that um, regular season defensive success doesn't necessarily mean postseason success on the defensive end anymore. The Cavs had the best regular season defense in the NBA only to be shredded by Jalen Brunson pick and rolls and Mitchell Robinson killing Mobley and Allen on the offensive glass. And Jared Allen put it uh, pretty um, concisely in a quote where he said the lights were brighter than we expected. Yeah, he's a that that has since become a meme that will live on at least uh, through the end of these playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, but playoff basketball is not regular season basketball, which we all know, but it's just like it feels more compounded because it felt like defense was one of the few things that really did translate. Yeah, and they're playing a different brand of defense than most teams in the NBA are with those two giants down low. So um, I like that not every team is is built the same way because sometimes we get into the same style of basketball across the board and kind of takes the fun out of it. So um, I hope they can make it work in Cleveland. But yeah, still some growing to do. Another team doing it in a different way, the Brooklyn Nets. What do you have on the Nets that the Thunder can learn from them? The Nets are doing it in a different way, all right. Um, little to take away from from a front office standpoint because uh, the Thunder didn't um, assemble a team of superstars and then have to trade them away uh, for various parts. But I'm going to take a positive stance on this, on what... I think the Thunder is doing. Mikel Bridges was a great example, albeit just for the second half of the season, of a guy who gets more of an opportunity, um, gets a longer leash to see what he can do. And Bridges, who was basically pigeonholed more or less as a 3D guy in Phoenix, started to show some more creation this year. Um, But then in Brooklyn... He's, you know, the the primary ball handler, primary creator, just doing st- more stuff off the bounce than we could have ever imagined. And listen, like if Mikel Bridges is your best guy and he's doing those things, you're not going to be a good team. But 
like I think our our value of Mikel Bridges has only gone up since the trade to the Nets. So um, I compare that to the Thunder because to smaller degrees, that's why they play all these guys. That's why they play Isaiah Joe to see what he can do after he wasn't given an opportunity in Philly. It's why um, they play their rookies so much, like Jay Will, like. You know, a lot of teams would have just stuck him on the end of the bench or in the G League all year. Um, and by the end of the season with the Thunder, um, you know, a league average team in the play-in, he's, he's starting games. So um, that's kind of why you do that. I like the I like the collection of parts um, the Nets have, but, I mean, this was not the team that was built. This is kind of the assets that they got from the remnants of a horrible dis- disaster. Yeah, the land of misfit toys in uh, Brooklyn yeah. for the Nets. Yeah, I had something similar to that. Is just going back to something Sam said is they want their playoff. Um, they want it to be an arrival and not just an appearance. And it feels like it's more of an appearance for the Nets just as they kind of trend down after that big trade where they'll probably go yeah. back to the play in mix. But this is what he's talking about, where it's like, let's not just push just for one postseason and we're back to square one where it's like, OK, well, we made the playoffs what do we do now? How can we get back? It's like they want to, obviously the Thunder, want to play the long game, and I think that's probably the wise way to go about it. Yeah, and the Thunder, you know, that Nets team pre the superstars arriving was known for its pluckiness and Kenny Atkinson coaching them up, and they're playing hard, and it kind of reminds you of the Thunder. Um, But then it's like you realize you're in the biggest media market in the U.S., Josiah is um, has billions of dollars, and that you're going to build a super team. So the team building, you know, Sam Presti, I don't think in Brooklyn. In fact, I know he would not build a team in Brooklyn like the way he's trying to build it in Oklahoma City. Um, the way you, you build a team in Oklahoma City is much harder. It requires much more patience. And so far, the Thunder have executed that. But Brooklyn is a different ball game, um, although it was an abject disaster. But um, yeah, so not not much to compare those two franchises from a front office standpoint. It did make me laugh to imagine like the discussions with their ownership around like the James Harden trade. We're like, no, we're going to have all these great guys. It'll never matter that all these picks are down the line. And then they're the team trading Kevin Durant for a bunch of picks. And then he has to go, hey, it happens to everybody. This yeah. this is going to happen to them, too, just like it happened to us. It's not my fault that I <laughs> made this roster. It's going to blow up on them, too, and we're going to be back in a situation we need to be in. Here's another lesson to learn from the Nets. Do, do not sign trade for Kyrie Irving. Do not add him to your roster. Bad things happen. Um, yeah, that's all I have on that. Can't what, wait to see LeBron in Dallas. <laughs> what do you have for the Atlanta Hawks? Oh boy. The Atlanta Hawks are like it goes back to to pressing the button. They yep. made that Eastern Conference Finals appearance. Um and since then it's just been falling short of expectations, trying to move um too much too fast and thinking that they, you know. Hey, making the conference finals is very, very hard. They accomplished that, but you can't then move forward like, okay, this is the team that we're going to be. Like, you have to consider the circumstances. Um, 
And yeah, I, I just don't like a lot of the personnel decisions they've made since then. Um, Trey Young has fallen in and out of favor, and um, I like Trey, uh, but it's clear that he rubs coaches the wrong way. I mean, two straight coaches that he, he just didn't really get along with, so that creates some drama. You don't want any of that. Um, but I think it kind of all goes back to the expectations. Like he wouldn't have that kind of target on him or spotlight on him if if they were sort of like building organically and they, they'd be known as like, oh, uh, this this cool upstart Hawks. But now it's like everyone expects them to get back to where they were, even though that was just for one season. And that is because they pressed the button. The Mavericks are in a similar situation where it's a tough lesson to learn where just because you made the conference finals one year does not mean you're a top four team in the NBA going into the next season. And I feel like the Hawks definitely got hit by that. And you mentioned pressing the button. You can even go back further. Obviously, the Luka Trey, uh, trade is going to be in stone forever. But it feels like after that, that Hawks management kind of panicked because they saw that they got the short into the deal. And they're like seeing Luka having the success and probably making the postseason soon. So they pushed in and they make the Gallo signing. They trade for Clint Capella. They uh, sign uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. And that helped. They made the conference finals. But they just pushed the button at the wrong time. And then, like you said, it raised different expectations. And they kept digging the hole deeper than by giving up a lot of whatever assets they had left to get DeJounte Murray. And now they're still in limbo as a team that you're not really sure what the ceiling is or if even DeJounte and Trey can play together. Yeah, very reactionary moves. It's like, okay, we have one of the worst defensive guards in the NBA. Let's trade for one of the best defensive guards in the NBA in DeJounte Murray. And like trying to plug all of these holes is like the boat is kind of slowly sinking. Um, so I, I, I just don't think you want to build a team that way. Um, again, a little different than Oklahoma City because it hasn't really happened yet, but people have long considered Atlanta kind of a sleeping giant as far as a free agent destination. Um, so, so you have, you have more leeway to, to get a little loose with your draft picks, I guess, but yeah, it's, it, it's not worked out. Um, you know, Trey is kind of a tough guy to to build around on on both ends of the floor, so that creates another challenge. Um, but just lessons to to learn from, like you said, I, I think it all goes back to um, staying patient, like knowing that. Man, I, I don't want to use thunder terms, but like progression isn't linear. Like we talk about that from a player standpoint, but that could happen from a team standpoint as well. Yeah, I mean, they're an eight seed who's already $12 million, uh, million dollars over the tax, and they still have to re-sign DeJounte Murray next summer, who's probably going to get, I don't know, in this new CBA, probably $35 million a year. Does that sound crazy? I feel like that's probably yeah. around there. And what what are you going to do, though, with, you know, those as your main two guys, Trey Young and Murray? Well, and then you have to extend Anyeka and Kongu off his rookie deal, and you just have all mm -hmm. these things where it's like, you have all these pieces, but where are you going? Which leads me to another part of it is it really matters not only who the player is, but what type of person, leader, um, culture setter it is who's leading your franchise. And I mm -hmm. think Trey, as talented as he is, you mentioned some of the issues with some of the coaches and stuff. And I just don't know that he's necessarily a guy 
he might be a talent that you could build a franchise around. But I just think that some of the other issues um, definitely make things more difficult where the Thunder aren't having some of those problems. But maybe I'm thinking about it too hard. No, I mean, there's drama in Atlanta. There is not drama in Oklahoma City. And uh, that goes a long way. All right. Well, we go from Trey to the New York Knicks. Just very uh, poetic justice here. Where Trey had some of his finest moments silencing the city of New York. Um, The Knicks. You know what? I want you to go first on this one, Michael. I went I went the positive route here. <laughs> Very much like the Kings, I said you don't have to win a title to have a success, uh, successful postseason. The talk around the Knicks has changed drastically in just the last three seasons where there were the feel-good story in 2021. Julius Randle's turn it around. They get Tibbs back, and they get that first-year bump. And then disaster hits as they uh, lose to the Hawks. I mean, um, and then now this season, they win a first-round series. This is the first time since... 2013 that they've had home court in a first round series and won a first round series. The 2013 Knicks started Carmelo Anthony, Tyson Chandler, Raymond Felden, Iman Shumpert, and Chris Copeland. I had no idea who Chris Copeland was until I looked that up. And then, um, yeah, the Knicks, since 1999, when they made the finals of the first ever eight seed to make it, now the Heat join, have only made the playoffs eight times, gotten to the second round three times, and the conference finals one time in 2000. For reference, the Thunder and, uh, made the playoffs eight times in their first 10 seasons. So it can be success for the Knicks, even if it's not like going all the way. I think that you just need to appreciate the the small amounts it is because it felt like disaster is always just like a second away for the Knicks. Yeah. Um, my takeaways from the Knicks as a whole is lessons you can learn. Uh, you don't want James Dolan uh, to to own your club, and uh, as a reporter, I would not want Leon Rose leading basketball operations. I don't. This is in the weeds, but he doesn't do like an exit interview or anything like that. And I don't think he's gone on the record in like two years. So it's just like it could not be more opposite um, from the from the Thunder. I mean, the Thunder are pretty tight lipped, but. Um, they they also have a have a GM who uh, speaks for like eighteen hours after the the season, and so um, that is helpful. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't like the Knicks, but um, expectations are just so different. Like you outlined their history so well. Like they just want they just want something to cling to, and I think this was it. Like they're. They're happy to 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 win a playoff series. That's very exciting, and everything like that. It goes back to the Thunder wanting to wanting it to be an arrival and not just an appearance. I don't think this is the next arrival, at least not with this current roster. But it's a step in the right direction toward competency, and competency goes a long way with the New York Knicks. It's about all I got on the Knicks. I mean. Uh, RJ Barrett is the first rookie they've signed on an extension who's been a first round pick of theirs since um, Charlie Ward in the 90s, who was more famously a Heisman winning quarterback. So they've yeah. uh, they've had a lot of issues, but I I do enjoy and really like that they have uh, Jalen Brunson as a cornerstone piece who's not necessarily a talent of that level, but just he's a stabilizing force that I think has really calmed things down and relaxed uh, 
a lot of the things for the Knicks as a guy who can run the show. You want an adult in the room? Julius Randle, despite his talent, has not always been the adult in the room. So yeah, Jalen Brunson. You know what? I should be more upbeat, more positive about the New York Knicks because this really was a fantastic year for them. I just don't know like what Where the next they, step yeah. is. You know, like I think this is kind of what they top out as. If they do this again next year, like it's not going to be the the same feel good story in New York. So I don't know where they go from here, but at least they've established a baseline of, you know, success for their sake. Let's just hope they don't try to do something drastic. And it's like, we're, we're trading for Kawhi. We, we believe in this. This is what's going to happen. Oh, but um, let's go on to another team that hasn't been uh, necessarily stable. The Philadelphia 76ers. That was me. Uh, making a noise into the microphone. My my takeaway from the Sixers is, well, again, it, some of it goes back to the injury luck. Like, you just wish Joel Embiid could stay 100% healthy in a playoff run just to see what, what he can do. Um, again, this is more of a big-picture takeaway, but just knowing how to build a team around your star player in Joel Embiid and the Sixers have brought in um, a lot of different parts, obviously Jimmy Butler, who is playing in the NBA finals. Um, but, you know, Daryl Morey goes back to the Houston guys. James Harden had a really good year, um, but we all know that's not always sustainable come playoff time. So just, yeah, the, the Sixers are, they're kind of in a perilous spot because they're they're like they 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 have the MVP yet everything seems very shaky. Um, so so we'll see how that goes. I don't really have a lot of takeaways from like on the court. Two teams that that play very differently. Um, I I think one of the things, at least from the Doc Rivers led Sixers, is they just would not give young guys a chance. And it was always playing the older guys. Um, Isaiah Joe being a perfect example. So um, that's one of the things. Like, don't don't box yourself in in the regular season. Yeah, he'd do similar things to Bud where it's like, we're going to play the all bench lineups, which you just can't do in the playoffs. You got to stagger your stars. But what I had yeah. is uh, the NBA playoffs can be a very humbling experience, Joe. You can you can have a lot of confidence going into the playoffs, and then you have one series, and it just kind of uh, sucks all the air out of the room. Um, the 76ers started out strong, especially whenever Embiid was out, and they had James Harden going vintage James Harden in the garden in game one. But outside of that, I think a lot of uh, playoff series can be boiled down to whose stars players, uh, whose star players played well in the series and who came through when it mattered most. And in a lot of those like very, very big moments to close out the series, Embiid and Harden were vastly outplayed by Tatum and Brown. Yeah, um, that that really is what it comes down to in the playoffs. And um, that's kind of been a theme for the Sixers. Again, there's there's injuries. But as we mentioned earlier with the Bucks, that can happen to to every team. But, you know, Embiid. I, I think deserved MVP. It's a regular season award. Obviously, uh, if it includes the postseason, that's going to Jokic instead of 
Embiid. Um, but the playoffs are just a different animal. Let's move on to the Boston Celtics who eliminated uh, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. What are your overall takeaways from uh, Beantown? My overall takeaways from Beantown is it's a great test in these things take a lot of time and you never know like, okay, like could this work and we just have to stay the course or the panic button of man, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum they're just not fitting or, you know, their, their styles are too similar. They're not meshing. Like it's the age old question we've been asking about the Celtics for several years now. Um, but I think this was year six for that duo. And like, think of all the games they've won. Think of all the playoff series that they've won. They've been in really big spots. It's been, um, it's been successful by any stretch other than not winning the NBA finals, but Jason Tatum is still 25 years old. That's a year older than Shea Gilgis Alexander, Jalen Brown. I think it's 26. So in theory, those two guys are like not even in their primes, really, but just on the just on the very edge of their primes, getting into that. So I I think the lesson here is the Thunder has assembled such an intriguing young core, but it just takes time. Like look at look at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Uh, Marcus Smart, whoever you want to throw into that mix, like there's going to be there's going to be bumpy roads, and who knows if uh, if it's ever going to to end in a title. Are you big on the grill? Do you know anything about grilling? Grilling, yes. like like an outdoor grill. I'm I'm not big on it, but just what I've been told is that you got to handle this like a brisket. You got to do it long term. You can't just microwave yeah. it. It's going to take hours and stuff Low to get it where you need slow. to get it. Exactly. I I'm I'm more of a grilling uh hot dogs, hamburgers type guy. I haven't I haven't ventured into the the briskets of the world. Um but you know what? I was I was really like where where the heck is he going to go with this? But you got it to a good place. They're like a brisket. I've I've heard that. And all... sometimes you leave it in too long and it loses its juice. Exactly. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna trademark this. <laughs> Building a team is like a brisket. I can't wait to ask it Sam like about that. Looks like a Lincoln that. Riley brisket. Oh yeah, we're gonna ask Sam about that. It's like, <laughs> how would you grade the brisket currently that is the Thunder rebuild? And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well. <laughs> As you can see, but yeah, I've heard that all guys after 45, they either get into World War II history or smoking brisket. So we both got something to look forward to in the next like 15-ish years. Yeah, I've got time to decide which route I'm taking. Uh, But for the Celtics and their takeaways, it's not enough just for your two stars to coexist. They have to be able to complement and thrive off of each other. I mean, that was big a big point that people have had. It's like, well, can these guys play together? Can they coexist? But the best combos... It's not even a question. It's like, can Jamal Murray and Jokic coexist? It's like, no, those guys are just really great together. Um, LeBron and AD and other guys like that. And then your role players have to know their role. I know that I've been very hard on Marcus Smart before, but you got to be able to understand what the team needs from you and not try to. I think Presti had a good quote about this where he said, um, understand your use and not like try to extend past that. Or I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Do you remember mm-hmm. something sort of like that? I think you're on the right track. And I'm it, sure he said that in many more words. He, he used the thesaurus and I just don't have access to that right now. But um, 
Another thing that I had for the Celtics is you have to protect home court. The Boston Celtics played 11 home games in the postseason. Do you know their record in uh, postseason games at home this year in 11 games? Uh, six and five. That is exactly correct. Stop looking at my notes. But <laughs> <laughs> the obvious three, they lost to the Heat, and then they dropped one each of the Hawks and the 76ers. For reference, the Nuggets have played 10 home games, and they didn't lose one until game two of the NBA Finals. And I think that's just a very, very important thing where you play the entire regular season to get home court. And then if you can't protect it, that is a very, very fast way to lose a series. Yeah. Um, the the thing about the two stars meshing is, is a really good takeaway because their offense, while at times can look unstoppable, there's other times where it completely turns into a your turn, my turn. Jalen Brown creating a tough look for himself. Jason Tatum creating a tough look for himself. And the way the Thunder wants to play in this like egalitarian offense, everyone's moving the ball, everyone's making quick decisions, finding the open man, like they're prioritizing decision makers. And despite how good Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are, they're not premier playmakers um, for others. So they they don't really complement other guys. And then you have two of those as your two best players. And I think it's tough now, you know, other teams, if if you pitch that argument to other teams, it's like, oh, wow, I feel so sorry for the Celtics, you know, to have those two guys as your best players. It's, you know, it has been successful. I'm just saying to to reach that ultimate goal of winning a championship, um, it might be hard to do. Although, I mean, if they beat the Warriors last year, we're having a completely different discussion about what the ceiling of the Celtics team is. So they they can win an NBA title, um, but it's it's easy to find the flaws um, in in the runs where they've they've fallen just short. Also, continuity and coaching staff. They've gone from Brad Stevens to Ime Udoka to now Joe Mazzula. That creates kind of a a lot to get used to. Also. The Thunder, even when they were putting pretty bad lineups on the floor in the early stages of, the, of this rebuild, the common theme was that they played way harder than anyone could reasonably expect them to. I, I mean, I, I take that back. They played so hard because like, these were guys that were trying to fight for their place in the NBA. So it's like, you got to. like Everything's on the line every single night. And sometimes the Celtics... I just get so frustrated watching them because at times it's like they're just not totally in it or they're coasting or they're not they're not realizing the stakes and that's why they have so much trouble in crunch time. So um that's kind of like this uh I, I don't know. It's like you you can't really it's either you have that or you don't. And you know, maybe maybe you can learn that along the way but i think it's kind of a a bit of a red flag at this point that some of their guys just have kind of wilted in some of those big moments yeah i completely agree um the celtics played 20 playoff games and like you said can you um win close can you win late and that was one of my big takeaways is can you win games in a close fashion the celtics and wins won by an average of roughly 14 points across their 11 wins in the postseason on the other side, and loss and losses, they lost by an average of nine points in those nine games. And if you took out the last two games of the Eastern Conference Finals, where they were down, where they went down 0-3 in Game Three and lost by 
26 and then lost in game seven by 19, that average goes down to six points. So on average, they lost very close. And then then the few games that they won, they won big. So you have to be able to win close. You can't just blow out everybody. And um, like you said, they, they have a lot of talent with Tatum and Brown, but you can't hero ball your way late game into a ring most times. Was that a, a transition into the next team we're going to talk about? Well, let's do it. Hero ball. <laughs> that that wasn't, but well, I'll take it. All right, let's talk about the Heat. No, I, I was just having some fun here, Michael. I, I'm so good at transitions. I don't even know when I'm doing them anymore. That's 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 what we're talking about. But um, do you have anything else on the Celtics before we do get into the Miami Heat? Uh, I mean... No, not really. Again, I, I want to just preface everything I just said. I guess it would be the opposite of preface. But, like, this could change instantly. Like, there's going to be a lot of people who pick the Celtics to maybe win the East next year again. And and I don't know if that's a bad pick, but um, something's going to have to change. Yeah, it's um, it's not crazy to pick them. Yeah. And then, um, it's not crazy. last thing, you said, yeah, seven years. I think they made five Eastern Conference Finals in seven years. And it's just another one of those things where it's like your window and you can't miss these opportunities. It's nice that they've made five conference finals in seven years. A lot of teams would kill for that, but only one finals appearance out of those, I think, is definitely concerning. And you're not always promised to get back. Because I mean that yeah. was a big thing with the Thunder and their young thing. It's like, well, they'll be back. And then the Celtics, like, well, they'll be back. And the reality is you're not promised to get back. I feel like I keep contradicting myself because the more you think about that, the more I think Bill Simmons made this comparison the other day is like kind of comparing the Celtics run to the Thunders run in the 2010s. And was it four and six years? That yeah, the Thunder four and made six. The, the conference finals like and and that resulted in one NBA finals appearance that, that came on the earlier end of that. Uh, when they weren't quite ready, but I mean, sometimes, and I've been the one shouting this from the mountaintops of how spoiled the Thunder's fan base is that this isn't how the NBA works. You don't just like get into four conference finals in six years that easy. And, you know, the rebuilds take time, but here I am talking about the Celtics disappointing. So I got to check myself. I got to take a step back. Like this has been, um, a, a wonderful run. Perhaps the only difference is, I, I mean, there's there's more than one difference, but one of the differences is the Celtics as a legacy NBA franchise, expectations are always going to be higher for them. Um, same with the Lakers, obviously. Um, to where th- those aren't the same expectations in Oklahoma City, but if you want to look back fondly of, of just the sustained success the Thunder had, um, over that period, I, I think you have to look fondly at, at what the Celtics have done with this team. Definitely, but unfortunately, we all we all want more. I mean, OU football That's fans true. should be very excited about all the conference championships they won, but um, definitely wish we could trade some of those for a national championship. You, you, you could be the Wizards. You could be the Wizards. I mean, we talked about the Thunder making four conference, conference finals in six years. Um, That's four uh, that's four times as many as the clippers have ever made in their entire history as a franchise yeah look at denver i mean denver might win the nba title this year and you know the thunder would trade everything to to have an nba title but they've 
you know, they've they've had their moments. You know, I like the the Ty Lawson teams as much as uh as much as the next guy, but like you know, I'm I'm not a basketball historian, but they were just like a nothing franchise for decades, and you know, never had these runs. So, um, yeah, it's it's all about perspective. Next week, Joe and I will get into a deep dive of the mid 2010s Nuggets with some Wilson Chandler uh, film. Danilo Gallinari, oh, I, like Wilson, I like Wilson Chandler, Javale McGee, Chris Anderson, Nene. But let's let's go to the heat before we uh, scare everybody away with our very niche uh, Nuggets talk. Um, yeah, we we also did not mention uh, Carmelo Anthony, although he left in two thousand eleven. Um, anyway, the Heat. Are we on the Heat? Did we, we are on the heat? the heat. Okay. Uh, takeaways from the Heat is don't don't try to match this <laughs> would be my would be my takeaway um from the heat uh no honestly there's a lot of similarities between the heat and the thunder the one big difference is one is a free free agent destination because there's a beach and the other one is not a free agent destination uh, because there is no beach um so that makes it easier to uh to lead the heat but at the same time the very stuff that sometimes we scoff at culture, Thunder loves its culture. We, we know about heat culture, hashtag heat culture, heat culture, heat culture. Um, they play exceptionally hard. They're exceptionally well coached. There's been stability on the coaching staff in the front office, um, even on the team, like Udonis Haslam being their version of Nick Collison, basically. Um, he's Mr. Heat. So they, they just go about it the right way. And I, I think that there are some definite similarities. However, I, I mean, the heat made it to this point for the most part around Jimmy Butler, who they were able to trade for and lure as a big market team. The Thunder would not have been able to do that. Um, but then like no one goes into this thinking, you know, we're going to, we're going to have key complimentary pieces and Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin and Duncan Robinson and Haywood Highsmith. And, Oh, Kevin loves going to be bought out and and we're going to sign him. Like, it's just a remarkable story. Like I'm actually pulling for the heat in the NBA finals because, um, you know, usually I like cheering for the little guy, which you would think would be Denver, but it's like somehow the, the mighty heat seem like the little guy in this because they're the eight seed and just kind of were a black cluster regular season team. I just think what they're doing is remarkable. We've never seen anything like that. So that's why I don't think anyone's going to try to repeat it. The lessons though, besides the culture and stuff is just development and scouting is so key. Finding some of these guys like the heat always seem to find guys um, that can play. And, you know, the the Thunder has done that as well from Lou Dort being an undrafted free agent trading for Isaiah Joe. You know, Jay Will comes in as a second round guy playing big minutes. Same with Aaron Wiggins. Um, you know, they've been able to find um, some of these off the radar type guys and the Heat do that a lot. So I see a lot of parallels, honestly, between the two um, organizations. But, you know, if the Thunder is to make an NBA Finals, how they built that from a roster standpoint is going to look completely different than why the Heat are in the NBA Finals right now. 
pulling for the heat over the Nuggets? Where is your conference and divisional pride? Who has divisional pride in the in the NBA? I, I would just love for a team to go on a run and win a few championships, and it's just like the SEC chance where we just yell yeah. West at the top of our <laughs> yeah, or more specifically Northwest, yeah. Northwest, Northwest. We all it's a bunch of uh, people in Middle America, Oklahoma City, chanting Northwest like yeah. that makes any sense. Northwest, so. and it's you have the team like um, Minnesota who never wins anything, but we're like we're involved, we're we're part of it. They're the Vanderbilt yeah. of the Northwest uh, Division. Yeah, I don't think uh, Thunder fans are big Jazz fans or big Blazers fans, are they? No, I don't think um, so. But yeah, with the Heat, listen, it's a, it's a I uh, just to get back to that real quick. Like I'm I'm gonna be perfectly happy if the Nuggets win. I think both are both are really good stories. Um, there's really not a lot to dislike uh, with either of these teams. Yeah, but I liked what you said earlier about development, and it feels like they were kind of early, the Heat, just as a team who really used their G League to find a lot of guys. Like, it goes back to even, like, Hassan Whiteside, who they found at, like, a YMCA, and mm-hmm. other guys like that. They've been on the cutting edge of that, and then it starts at the top down. We have Sam Presti. They have uh, Pat Riley, and I think that just the alignment from Pat Riley to Eric Spolster to Jimmy Butler to the rest of their guys is something the Thunder should definitely try to um, model themselves after. And I think they're going in the right direction. But I think just having that alignment definitely gives you a lot more direction and a much uh, clearer path for your team to follow than everybody kind of got, uh, doing their own thing. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said to be said for stability. And the, the Heat have been the ultimate example of that. But also... Um, the Thunder has been as well. I mean, Sam Presti's been the general manager since the team arrived, and even for a year before that in Seattle, Mark Degnault was G League coach and then a Thunder assistant before he became Thunder head coach. And um, you've got former players, uh, Nick Collison, Ozzy Muhammad, Eric Maynard, DJ White, uh, Mike Wilkes in the organization. Like, it's, uh, it's very Heat-esque, or you could say the Heat is Thunder-esque. Um, again, it's just like easier to do this job in Miami because there's South Beach and we have Lake Hefner and Thunderbird. Are you saying we aren't the Miami of the Midwest? <laughs> Miami of the Midwest would be an oxymoron, but exactly. if there was a Miami <laughs> of the Midwest, I, I, uh, or the Southwest, whatever you, I don't want to get into geography debates here on where Oklahoma is situated, but we do have Miami, not exactly a free agent destination either. That's where my dad is from. I always call him the, the Miami heat to him, but, uh, yeah, last thing on the heat, last thing I have on the heat here is, um, you have to have guys step up in big moments. You have to get hot at the right time. Like we talked a lot about luck, Gabe Vincent, um, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, they dusted the cobwebs off him and he's played really well. Kevin Love off the buyout market. And just, yeah, like I mentioned, guys need to step up. Tyler Hero's out, like we mentioned with injuries, that can usually just derail an entire team's postseason. But nope, next man up mentality. Caleb Martin steps up. You have all these different guys who are playing really well right when they were needed to, and it's really helped them get to this level and get to the NBA Finals. Well, what do you think of bucket hats? Um... I think that some people can wear them. I'm not one of them. 
uh, but I, I have seen Tyler Hero on the sideline. I did see a meme that made me laugh where he said, imagine Mark Jackson talking about this guy and how he's important to your team and could flip the finals. And they pan over to Tyler Hero in a bucket hat. And they're like, that's the guy. He's like, uh, it's really become a thing. Just uh, seeing Tyler here on the sidelines wearing various bucket hats. Just just very anyway. funny stuff. But do you have anything else on it, the heat? Well, I made it a terrible joke about that transition because it was hero ball and the the heat have played anything but hero ball. Hero is bucket bucket man there on the sideline. I don't have anything else on the heat. Um, they just they just don't die. They constantly. My my thing on the heat is it it really makes me question life in general and how much the regular season matters and all this stuff. And again, it's a, it's a small sample, but they like, even when they've made their past runs, I, I mean, almost in the NBA finals a year ago, it's like, I never think the heat are that good. So yeah, they're becoming the like the Spurs in that way where you're like, Oh, the Spurs this is the time they age out. And it's like, Oh, one seed. It's like, okay, yeah. well, I guess the the heat bring up a lot of philosophical discussions that maybe I should talk to someone more qualified about that's like therapist i don't know uh yeah the heat i don't enjoy the fact i'd rather them not win where every team after that can go hey the regular season doesn't matter we just saw the heat do this it's like please yeah don't listen to that it it might not matter for the heat i mean it it clearly doesn't but yeah like i said at the very beginning do not try to replicate this the memes of the finals have been great where it's like the nuggets and it's like a highly um intricate offense that revolves around a once in a generation playmaking center and then it says the heat offense uh fueled by the power of friendship do you see uh kevin love hug gabe vincent the other day just because he missed him on a wide open pass I like that. You know what? That's the that's the kind of camaraderie you need. I think that's what Mark Dagnall needs to throw out there more. Chet and Poku getting a fight out on the floor in a game. You guys, I'm calling a timeout. You're hugging at half court. Figure it out. Kevin Love and Mark Dagnall, uh, you know, Dagnall sold there by four or five years, but both both got some gray coming through. As do I. I'm not uh, making any judgment, but um, yeah, it's just just crazy. We're gonna Here's get- Kevin Love. Just just uh. Back from the dead. Kevin Wesley Love. We're going to get a Just for Men's uh, sponsorship hopefully soon here off that. But uh, Joe, what else are you working on here? I know that no shrimp in your diet, no gumbo right now, but you've been uh, doing some College World Series stuff with softball. What else is going on with you? Yeah, I've had to lay off the Cajun cuisine just a a little bit lately. Um, The Women's College World Series is a... uh, if you're wondering why I am talking about the Women's College World Series so much, it's because um, our web analytics just confirm what you just feel in the air around here is that it's just wildly popular and it's really cool that we can host this year after year. And it's really cool that we can go out and cover these games. So um, I'll be out there for the championship series, OU and Florida State, a rematch of the 2021 uh, championship series, um, also a rematch of the 2000 football national championship um so yeah i'll be out there for that so will everyone else but i'm also writing about the thunder so um i'm going to have try to have something on bilal kulabali who's the talk of thunderland at present 
for a promise that was uh, probably not made. And what else am I doing? Uh, I'll be rolling out uh, more draft stuff. Um, kind of uh, breaking guys into different tiers, everything like that, leading up to the June twenty second draft. And uh, on draft night, I'll be I'll be there in Brooklyn, so we'll have podcasts and stories and videos and food updates from Brooklyn, where I will be probably eating a pizza. On top of the Bilal Kulablay, um talk, we're getting Tyler Rucker on from No Ceilings NBA, who's covered a lot of those guys, and Ryan Rupair and different French prospects. So we will talk to him on Friday. Um, well, how about that? That's fantastic. Definitely going to be good. We, yes, he's rising up these boards. He's like, I have to have someone who knows anything about this guy who's been this international man of mystery linked to the Thunder. So that should be fun. And then you can boo me if you want for this pun. But um, from College World Series to Thunder basketball, I think you're doing a real home run job right now. Ooh, thank you. I uh, I feel like it's more like a kind of like a grounder that sneaks its way through the infield. But I, I appreciate that, Michael. Just quote Moneyball. We just care about getting on base. That's it. Just get on base. Just get on I'll, base. I'll, I'll walk my way. Just walk. Yeah. Walk your way to a home run. But anyways, yeah. thank you so much, Joe, for coming on with me. We'll definitely got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Thank you all for listening. Like I mentioned, Tyler Rucker on Friday talking about uh, Bilal, Repair, and some other ones. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, uh, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are the Thunderbuds at ThunderbudPod on Twitter. Uh, we will be back again for more Thunder Talk on Friday. <laughs>